Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. He is Paul Dottino. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Giants getting ready to take on the Washington Redskins on Sunday. Uh, we'll preview that game in just a little bit, but this is the first time I think both Paul and I have been on since the Giants made their roster moves this week and since yes. the game against the Falcons, right? So um, let's get into some of that. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the Falcons game because that's three or four days old now, and it's kind of old news. So um, the roster moves. First, the Eli Apple trade. Uh, they receive a 4-7 and seven in return, a 4-2019, and 2019, a 7-2020. in 2020. Uh, Paul, when Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer got here, they were very clear, though, giving every player a clean slate including guys that had issues in the past like Eric Flowers, like Eli Apple. And it seems that in terms of both guys, they decided that um, Dave Gettleman specifically, this is his decision, he's the general manager, mm -hmm. that it was better in the long-term interests of the franchise to move on. Uh, they already moved on from Flowers. Now they move on from Eli Apple. Um, Coach Shermer made the point that when Eli Apple was out, he thought the guys that Stepped in for him, did a good enough job, so the drop-off's not going to be as bad. But there's a short-term hit here. You don't have that many experienced defensive backs and corners on the roster. That's just the way it is. And uh, they think those the picks later on in the future will help a lot more than Eli Apple will this year when they already started the season 1-6. and six. Well, you see, for me, John, and I think a lot of people have a different take on this uh, in terms of acquiring draft picks for some of the, the veterans we've already talked about. Now, there's two gone. The trade deadline is Tuesday, and obviously the rumor mill is suggesting there may be some more. We just don't know. And right the other now. trade, by the way, was the one yesterday announced this morning: Snacks Harrison to the Lions for a fifth-round pick in 2019. Right, right. Um, so uh, there are people saying, "Well, why didn't they get more for these players?" Well, part of the reason you have to understand is that the contracts and the salary caps make it difficult to make some trades, and therefore, you know, teams can kind of squeeze you a little bit and say, look, if we're going to absorb that contract and that salary, we we got to give you less. So that's one of the reasons why the Harrison deal, despite him being the most dominant interior run stopper in the NFL for the last four or five years, only brings you a fifth-round choice. And look, that's Paul, first. Dave Gettleman knows everybody around the league. He called around. He would not have taken that if it wasn't the best offer. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely 1,000% sure. And I, and I do know that there has been interest from other teams in the league for Eli Apple for at least a couple of weeks. They've actually pursued him, and the Giants you know, held on, and they wound up getting the two picks, the four and the seven, uh, obviously believing that that was the best of the deals that they, they could talk about with other teams. Here's my point, though, and here's where I'm different from, from a lot of other people here. I actually believe that Dave Gettleman is looking to compile a quantity of picks not so much quality of picks because I think he's going to use them as packages to move up in the first three rounds of the draft. Well, remember, though, fifth okay. and seventh round picks will not allow you to really move up significantly ah. in the first and second round. No, see, but if you, if you are high third round and all of a sudden you just say to somebody, guess what, we're going to give you a five if we can sneak into the bottom of the second round. The problem is that they don't have a three. Okay, right now they don't have a three. Right. But... They might get one, right. or 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 for that matter, maybe they trade a four and a five to get a third because now they're compiling picks. Mm. 
I truly believe the math that, doesn't work on the trade chart for something like that. Well, but, it depends yeah. on, mm-hmm. on what you're doing, Correct. and maybe there's a player involved. Right now, you can maybe move up in the fourth round and trade a fifth round pick or sixth round pick to do that. I, I, that certainly works, or move up into the back end of the third round, something like that. Something like that could work for well, sure. I, I do think, I mean, it's going to be hard to do anything in, in the first round uh, moving up. I mean, the Giants going to be high enough as it is. And I even think we and, both believe that. And the second round, then, too, because really, if you're going to move up in the second, second round, it's going to be yeah, hard. Exactly. It's going to be hard. Correct. But I do think from the top of the third round, you might move three or four spots, and that, for, for all we know, That's the true. Giants may be so high in the third round that three or four spots get you to the very bottom of the second. And 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 that's the kind of thing I think he's going to try to do. That's my opinion. No, you're right. And look, and, and I'll throw this out there. Two point, I think you're right. If you're only moving two or three spots, then a pick like that could come in handy. That's true. Absolutely no question about it. Um, I also think you want to have as many swings as possible here. You know the chances of hitting on third round or picks on the third day are low. Especially once you get into the fifth round. Fourth round is a little bit better, I think. The fifth, sixth, and seventh round, to me, are always crapshoot picks. All right? You just don't right. know what you're going to get. It's very, very difficult. Right. Okay? Mathematically, the way the draft has always gone, that's the case. So you want to have as many chances to swing in those situations so you have a better chance of finding a player. It's, it's the same strategy the Patriots have used over the years where they continually trade down, acquire more picks, acquire yes. more picks, acquire yes. more picks. They let guys walk in free agency. They mm-hmm. always are in the top of the uh, compensatory pick list, and you want to have as many swings as possible. So when the Giants who uh, you know are entering a situation where you're getting into a rebuilding mode here a little bit, you want to have as many picks to, like you said, have flexibility in terms of moving around, which is important. But also, if you can't move up or you don't see an opportunity where you want to move up, because you don't know how a draft is going to go. There's no guarantee Correct. you're going to want to move up. You want to have as many swings as possible um, with those later round picks. And maybe you strike gold on one of these guys and you find a guy that can help you. Well, yeah. I, I think actually it becomes a two-pronged deal. Sure. Because if you can't move up to just kind of inch your way forward to grab somebody you really want, worst case scenario is, oh, guess what? We're stuck with, like, nine picks in this draft. There's nothing terribly wrong with that. Right. And I, and I'll say this, too. I know a lot of people are speculating about who else might go. And uh, without getting into specific contract details, there are a couple players on this roster that I know people have pointed at. Um, well, it's the guys who are making the most money. And they were that's, the, what pe- that's what people yeah, say. And they were in the same for Asian classes, Damon Harrison on defense. We know who they are. So if you look at the details of those contracts for guys like Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins— their contracts, without getting into details of money and numbers, makes it very difficult for other teams to absorb those deals and to make them worthwhile for other teams to trade for. The Giants could handle it with the money going into next year's cap. And by the way, folks, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, the prorated signing bonus, since the trade's happening after June 1st, yes. uh, will go into the 2019 cap. So uh, for Olivier Vernon, whatever his prorated signing bonus is for the last two years of his deal, Janoris Jenkins, whatever the restructure was, plus the prorated signing bonus, goes into the 2019 salary cap. Um, that loss in cap space for the Giants could be offset by whatever they save on the base salary from this year. Because you would save then on whatever's left on their base salary for the 2018 year. Correct. You roll that over to next year. And depending on the player, you come close to canceling out what the prorated signing bonus is. So it's almost a neutral deal in some cases. Other players, it's worse. Jenkins, I think it's it's more on the negative side. But other teams would have to be able to absorb what's left on their base salary this year 
And then they're also going to look ahead and say, well, is the money left on these guys' contracts worth mm-hmm. occupying our salary cap for future years, which would make a trade worthwhile at all for these other teams? So when you're talking about trading these players, just as important as how good the players are is what their contract looks like, and that really impacts what other teams want them at all and would be willing to give up for them. Yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult it's situation because even if you can minimize your dead money for 2019, which is really what John's talking about in a complicated way. Yeah, correct. You you have to understand the other team has to have room to squeeze those guys under their numbers. Uh, it's it's hard to find a fit. It just really is. Yeah, there's not a lot of teams are sitting there with, you know, Five six million dollars of cap space, and just sitting me. there waiting to bring somebody in. Believe me, and I'm. There are players on this team that other teams would love to get their hands on, but for a variety of reasons, can't do it. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I think the Giants, you know, pursue trades like this. You know, we don't know what they were going to do with Snacks Harrison next year, but in the case, uh, let's say they decided that they, since they have guys like B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson, they already knew that they might walk away from him next year. And let him go. Well, if you did it next offseason, A, you don't get anything back for him, okay? B, you also take a full salary cap hit. By making the trade now, not only do you get a draft pick for him, you also save what's remaining on his base salary from this year and next year's cap. So you get a dual benefit from making that trade now rather than making a move after the season's over. And and understand something. uh, Snacks has played a lot of football. He has taken a lot of lumps. He's a hell of a player. He's a terrific player. He's the best interior run stopper in the league. No one is disputing that. But there also comes a time of diminishing returns when you say to yourself, well, he's had a lot of maintenance days since the spring. Oh, he doesn't practice much at all. And he still talks about his knee. He's got a chronic knee. Right. That doesn't have like structural damage, okay. but it gets sore. So I offer this to you. Baseball fans out there will understand when I say it, but Branch Rickey, the old Dodgers uh, uh, GM and president and owner, used to always say, trade a player a year too early as opposed to trading him a year too late. I, I think that's what applies to Snacks Harrison because as he has uh, increased his maintenance schedule this year, because mm-hmm. last year there were times he didn't practice either, but it's it's much more pronounced this year, and I think I think at some point you, you you're going to say whoever you are you're going to say, um, hey, you know what? Um, the 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 law of diminishing returns at some point is going to be where he won't be the same player on game day. To this point, he has been, yeah. But at some point, he won't be. And by the way, it's really and this speaks to you know the the tatters the roster was in when Dave Gettleman took over. Based on the moves he made this offseason, the one spot on the roster where you actually do have a lot of depth or is the down lineman position in 3-4 defense. Yes. You have a bunch of guys that can play. Yes. Dalvin Tomlinson is going to move to nose tackle. He can play. B.J. Hill, your rookie, third-round pick. He can play. Kerry Wynn can play. And, of course, Morrow. Josh Morrow can play. Yeah. So you have four guys that are uh, can, can start and can play significant snaps. That's true. Especially against the run. And get the job done. Throw Mary Edwards in there too, who's a guy that yes. can play the run a little bit. Absolutely. So you have a lot of guys that can step in and replace him. So 
that's kind of where I stand on the trades. Anything you want to say about them before we move on to the Redskins? Yeah, the only thing I will say about Eli Apple, uh, which we briefly touched on earlier in the conversation, is that I do think he had somewhat of a bounce-back year. Uh, Last year, everything fell apart for him, as it did for the team. I do think this year he was playing better ball, and his arrow was on the up, and he was getting better. And I do think that he was showing signs of being the player that everybody had hoped. But again, at the same time, my understanding was the teams were trying to get him. And so the Giants saw the opportunity to get what they got, and they took the value. And so, um, you know, as far as Eli's concerned, I still believe he's got tremendous talent, and I still think he's going to be a very good player in this league for a number of years. Not sure he's ever going to get the Pro Bowl ability. I don't know that that'll ever happen because he really got off to such a a rocky start, uh, actually, in his second year. His first year was really solid. Uh, So he may never get to that point. But I, I do think he will be a good player for a lot of years. I think he'll be a starting corner in the league. No question. Let me put it that way. No I th- question I, I, about I think, that. I think he could be a league average corner, and I think in this day and age, a league average corner actually is a pretty valuable player. Speaking of which, as long as we're talking corners, yes. John, should we throw this out there? The Giants uh, have a new corner named uh, Tony Lippett. Uh, he's six foot three. He's out of Michigan State. Uh, Fifth-round draft pick of the Miami Dolphins uh, three years ago uh, was a starter for them for a year and uh, then suffered a torn Achilles. And that's really sidetracked his career. And he was trying to come back and got cut by the Dolphins. Uh, They didn't have enough room to wait for him on the roster. Uh, He is a corner-slash-wide receiver, as we were told by Pat Shermer, who, by the way, is a Michigan State alum. (laughs) No surprise that he would know something about Lippitt. And in any event, um, Lippitt had come to work out for the Giants some time ago. He worked out well. They liked him. But according to Coach Shermer, he was not far enough along in his rehab to sign. He still needed some more rehab. Well, his rehab is done. And now the Giants have brought him in. And I can't tell you if there are any six foot three corners in the NFL today. But that is really terrific size for, for a cornerback. Do we know if he's related to former Colt Ronnie Lippitt? I don't know the Who, answer. Who's to actually that. a pretty good player in this league. Yeah, we 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 may get a chance to talk to him tomorrow and find that out. Uh, right now, I do not know that. I just know that uh, you know this is a guy who uh, obviously caught the Giants' eye, and they were waiting on him, and that may have also had something to do with the timing of the uh, of the Apple trade. Because they now believe that Lippitt is prepared and physically capable well, I mean, of playing. I'm not sure they say. Well, we could trade Eli Apple. We're going to bring no, this guy no, off the scrap. Uh, no, I but mean, I mean, the fact on. that they knew they knew who they were targeting to fill the roster spot, it kind of helps a little bit. Yeah, I suppose. 201-939-4513. We'll take your calls in a moment. Uh, real quick on the Redskins, Paul. I'll throw out my two cents real quick. I know you guys want to get in here. Um, this is Paul and I are. On, I'm not on tomorrow, so I want to get my two cents, and then Paul can do his with uh, Lance tomorrow. Lance, did and you I guys switched. trade? Yes, we trade. You didn't tell me. Yeah. So Lance is in tomorrow with you. Oh wow. So, um, yeah, because Lance doesn't have a shift next week because of the short week with the. Okay. Uh, so I gave him. Are you bringing Lance the high tomorrow. chair in? <laughs> wow, he's taking shots. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, so my take on the Redskins, real fast. Uh, they're one of the highest percentage first down run teams in the league. They're fairly predictable that way. Stopped around on first down. Alex Smith's numbers throwing to the middle of the field are much, much better than anywhere else. Um, doesn't throw down the field much. Their two biggest receiver threats are their two tight ends, uh, Jordan Reed, who's actually healthy, uh, Vernon Davis, who's kind of their downfield threat. Looks like Chris Thompson's coming back. He's a good weapon out of the backfield for them. 
Um, obviously, Adrian Peterson, he's their running threat on first down. They're running him outside a lot more this year than he has in the past. So watch out for the edges there. Uh, defensively for the Redskins, great front. Um, they're two young interior defensive linemen, Deron Payne, the rookie out of, out of uh, Alabama, and Jonathan Allen, their second-year guy. He was a first-round pick last year, got hurt. Um, very good players. We know Ryan Kerrigan can play. Um, Preston Smith, who lined up over Teron Smith last last week, really had his way with him, to be honest with you. So that's another good pass rusher at right end for them. Um, in the secondary, they play more man-to-man than any team I've watched this year in terms of who the Giants have played. So I think you're going to get some man-to-man coverage, which means, Paul, you're going to have the opportunity to make some big plays down the field. But the trick for this is protecting up front. And it's going to be a real challenge against this Redskins group that will rush more than four. They'll blitz linebackers. They'll blitz defensive backs. And they are going to try to pressure Eli Manning. And that could be problematic over the course of the game. And that's my take on it. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. Last week, you guys know that both uh, Shepard and OBJ had over 140 yards receiving apiece. Mm-hmm which, of course, uh, was a unique factor for the Giants. I mean, that just does not happen. Um, Talking to Beckham today, he said one of the things was that the Falcons played their usual defense, which, as you and I both know, is a lot of single high. Uh, they did not play much two-deep zone at all. Well, they haven't seen a lot of two-deep zone the, the last couple of weeks, the Giants. Yeah, absolutely. And And you know what? That's music to those receivers' ears. You see... <sighs> I hate to say this, folks, but but that's the thing. You know, the Giants still have not broken that two-deep zone shell yet. Um, they continue to pass the ball well against teams that don't play it. Now, the question becomes, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, do you play what you play, or do you say, Giants haven't penetrated the two-deep zone. We're going to play that because it neutralizes them. Hey, the Eagles didn't play a lot of two-deep, though, when the Giants played them. Mm, not much. No, not not really. much. Malcolm Jenkins plays low. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It just, I do think that the Redskins scheme, if they stay true to what they are, will play into the Giants' passing game's hands, if just can, like it did with the Falcons. If you can If protect. you can protect. Right. Now look, Eli got sacked four times last week and still threw for nearly 400 yards. That was mostly in the first half, though. I you thought know. the Giants protected much better in the second half of that game. Yeah, and, yeah. and he had, uh, I want to say, three completions over 50. Is three, that right? Three over 40, I know for sure. Three over four. Mm-hmm. I thought it might have been three over 50. You could be right. I don't. So the point is, I don't count they went downfield. Yeah. That's the point. They went downfield and they were able to make big plays. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just all garbage time either. So I would believe that the Giants are going to be able to move the ball. The question is, of course, are they going to score points at the end of those drives? Well, no, the Redskins' defense is good now, though. They have the fifth-ranked defense in the league. So they have now they got lit up by the Saints. And I think... If you take a look at how they play, I think that's the blueprint the Giants should use because the Saints managed to protect their quarterback and then their corners couldn't hang with the Saints' weapons down the field. That's the formula. Now, the Saints have a much better offensive line than the Giants do. So that's what the challenge is going to be for the Giants' offense. If they can protect, they should be able to move the ball and make some big plays. And uh, that's kind of been the story all year, hasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about it. 201-939-4513. Let's get to your phone calls. We'll take them for the next 40 minutes as we get ready for Giants-Redskins. And any of those you want to talk about, more than happy to take your calls. Before we take your first one, I want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Susan in Bohemia, who we have not talked to in quite a while. What's up, Susan? 
Oh, well, guys, not too happy nowadays. Nah, I wouldn't uh, think so. Yeah, especially with my pal Eli. Um, a little upset, but, you know, I, I can understand the media's lack of civility when it comes to the Giants, especially Eli. They love raking him across the coals. But, you know, not from our fans. I'm reading all these posts, and I just feel so bad. I mean, you know, yes, Eli's play has been affected by the pounding he's taken, and, you know, and yes, his lack of mobility is an issue when it comes to the team, you know, with the team around him that he has. And, and yes, it does seem like, unfortunately, his time with the Giants is sadly coming to an end. But, you know, do you kick a wounded warrior out by telling him he's no good or worthless or garbage or, or even questioning his heart, Eli's heart of all things? And, and you know, which I've, I've read on different posts with these fans. I mean, you know, I mean this is the warrior. I mean, do, do you lead him out, like, with honor and respect the way that he rightfully deserves? I mean, you know, this isn't one of these arrogant players. This is someone who's who's not only given us two Super Bowls and and some more most of the exciting Giants games I've seen, especially in 2011 with like 15 fourth quarter comebacks. I mean, they were such exciting games, and you know, he's carried the team that year. That year was really all Eli. But you know, this is also one of the most stand-up, kind, and decent human beings that God has ever made. I mean, with all the grief that he's taken all these years, he's never thrown anyone under the bus, has always put team first, always accountable. He, he takes the blame whether it's his fault or not. I mean, he's never, I don't think I've ever heard him say a disparaging word against whether a teammate, a coach, or management, and not even against the fans, no matter how much they raked him, too. But but, you know, he put in all these long hours of training and studying. He plays hurt for us. You know, even if you listen to that um, interview on uh, WFAN, FAN, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he even said something was interesting. He was saying that, you know, he says he's trying to figure it out, that even now he's trying to even change the way he does things and or, or throwing things differently or whatever. I mean, he's still trying so hard to try to figure this out. I mean, this is frustrating him just as bad, you know. And, and this is from a guy, you know, that he's, his only desire is to win games for the organization and the fans. And now this is how he's being treated by the very fans he played his heart out for. I mean, there doesn't seem to be that sad acknowledgement that, you know, the end is drawing near. But rather, I, I see this, this mob with pitchforks in their hands drooling for a lynching. You know, I think that's just well really you, sad and pathetic. You, you know what? Um, let me just give you a little bit of a, of a history lesson here. Back in 1964, when Y.A. Tittle played his last season with the Giants, and we all know he brought him the three straight championship games. And then in 64, the line was just an absolute horror show. They had no running game, and he was immobile. Okay, much like Eli, he was immobile. And he just went back to pass and just got the living stuffing kicked out of him time after time after time. And you know the Hall of Fame photo, John, I know you've seen it, in Pittsburgh where the helmet's broken and he's on the ground on his knees and the blood's pouring from his forehead. And everybody felt bad for YA because this is a guy who was truly ahead of his time. He was the Dan Marino of his day. And a great, uh, one of the greats of the greats. And it was so sad for him to go out that way. And I find it very offensive that there are so many people, you are right, carrying torches and pitchforks towards Eli Manning when in those days, of course, when people were much kinder, gentler, and nicer as a society, uh, they felt bad for YA. Nobody seems to feel bad that Eli Manning is getting the stuffing kicked out of him on a consistent basis. And so I concur with your sentiment, and I offer for you younger fans a history lesson uh, as to the way YA went out. It was sad, but at least people were classy about it. 
I'm not saying Eli's done because I don't think he is, quite frankly. But it's 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 an interesting uh, dynamic between the two quarterbacks if you study the contrast in the stories. Yeah, we'll do. That sounds really interesting. I didn't know that. He was kind of a little bit before my time. I um, understand. Everyone's time yeah. except for Paul's. And, and so <laughs> it's just that, you know, I just kind of feel that fans, especially when things are going bad, this is when they really need to be behind their team. And even with the, you know, with Coach Schumer and, and Gettleman, I mean, they came in here doing exactly what they said they were going mm-hmm. to do. And, you know, they did. And, you know, it, it, they're yelling at the different replacements they brought in. But, you know, they what were they choosing from? There wasn't much out there to bring in, number one. Uh, they did great in the draft. I think they, they brought in Hernandez. They, I mean, they they looked at the, the old line. They were trying to do something about that. So, I mean, they were doing what they – yeah, did something fail? Yeah, but, you know, hey, that's going to happen. And, and, I mean, did any of these fans really believe that with a whole new building of a team that there was, I mean, going to be like this playoff? I really I, – I, I did not fall into that trap. I knew there, there has to be time. I mean, even uh, David Deal was saying at the O-line. I mean, it needs years to build that chemistry before it. I mean, there's new O-line every week practically. So that needs to be done. So I just think there needs to be more support about Schumer and Gettleman, too. And also, let me tell you, even the, even our owners, I mean, I've heard things said against our owners, like, you know, they don't know what they're doing, they don't care. Yeah. Oh, my word. These, how long have we been with this team and we saw how wonderful these men are. These are men of integrity. They try hard. Yeah, they make mistakes, but you know what? They'll admit it. They'll move on. They'll try again. And um, it, it just, you know, really kind of breaks my heart that they're being treated so unfairly, too. I mean, I, I know the passion that the Giant fans have, but you know, that's, and that's the last thing and I'll say, and I'll end this, but, you know, the passion. I am so sick and tired of hearing passion be the escape word for all whether players or management or whatever else, that, you know, as long as you have passion and it's being done with passion, it's okay. You know what? ISIS does things with passion, too. But, you know, <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Please. Up, uh, oh, right? time out. Time out. Please don't go there. Yeah, yeah. let's here, not make that here, comparison. Here's as far as I will go. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate that. Thank call. you so much. Because, because there are blogs, because there is Twitter, because there is 24-hour sports talk radio, the fans' uh, uh, venom, is is easy to discern and back in the day even when remember the giants that will again before your time john but back in the 70s people were burning giant season tickets in the parking lot they were flying planes overhead with signs all right that's the only indication you had that the fans were really really upset now you turn on the radio you turn on your computer you turn on your phone and it's everywhere and that's what really uh uh ignites and emphasizes the frustration that the fans have. I don't know that they're any less frustrated than the fans were in the 70s because let me tell you, that was rough, but it just wasn't as visible. Well, it's Twitter. I mean, that's what it is. Twitter. I mean, yes, Twitter, the evil of all society. Twitter brings, it allows every single person to express their momentary emotion at any given time. It's just it, That's what the medium is. It's the way it is. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole Eli soliloquy or debate. I will say one thing, though, just based on some numbers that have have been compiled recently. um, The idea that Eli is not capable or doesn't want to throw down the field is no longer even supported by the numbers. It's not. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Despite his real slow start and not getting the ball down the field against Jacksonville and Dallas, where I think he only had a couple of passes over 20 yards in those games. Since then... 
I don't have the exact numbers, but I know where he stands now. Through the year, he now has 23 passes of 20 yards or more, tied for 13th in the league. Middle of the pack. And that's after an extremely slow start. Middle of the pack. Which means he's probably near the top of the pack since week three. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Passes of 40 yards or more, which is an even better indicator of throwing the ball down the field. Eli Manning has five, tied for eighth in the league. Top ten. So let's take this idea that he's turned into check down Charlie and let's push it aside. Not accurate anymore. I will say there are some of those that were catch and runs, but there's no Plenty question. Plenty of them that weren't. No question. And the perception is still being overplayed, which is your point. Now, there still might be some plays on a third and long where you'd rather not have him go to the short guy as quickly as he does here or there, sure. I think that's fair on a couple of those. But I do think people have to understand that when it's third and 14 and you can't protect, going down the field to get the first down is virtually impossible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you one question. Yes. You answer it, and I want you fans out there to look yourself in the mirror, and I want you to answer it. Three and a half minutes to go in that game the other day in Atlanta. Giants are down by eight points. Mm-hmm. Falcons have a third and nine in their own territory. They wind up getting a nine-and-a-half-yard completion for the first down, which basically, that to me, which then led to the field goal. That was the pass to Ridley when he yes. beat Eli Apple? Mm-hmm. The, Rid- the Ridley pass was was the killer for me. No, I agree with you. Okay. That's fair. Led, led to a 50-freaking-something-yard field goal that, that, that iced it. Which, by the way, was a really stupid decision by Dan Quinn. But Wasn't that's a, it? But, but, but that's a conversation. I thought I was the only one in the stadium who felt that way. I thought going for it was a better move, and I thought punting was a better move. I thought that was the worst decision it he could have made. <laughs> it was the dumbest decision of all, and he lucked out because every totally kicker did. makes 80-yard field goals against the Giants. It really is amazing. Okay, yeah. but here's my point to you. Honestly, answer me honestly. Yes. If Ridley doesn't get that first down and the Falcons have to punt the ball to Eli and he's got three and a half minutes down by a touchdown, I feel how good, good do you feel? I feel good about it. Darn straight. I don't feel great. I, I feel, feel good. I feel good. I feel good. I feel good like he can he can get them down there. Now, I don't know if the two-point conversion is going to go, but I feel like he can get them down into the end zone. Well, I, I really do. I don't even know if they're getting in the end zone. But I let me put it this way. I have a lot of confidence he would have gotten them down there in position to score. They had so many red zone issues. I don't know if they would have gotten in. Yeah. Well, they might have scored from outside the red zone. They could have. That's possible, too. The point is, yeah. if Eli was shot, if you're being honest with yourself, okay, you know in your heart of hearts you felt he had a legitimate chance if he got that ball back in his hands. And if you did feel that way, and I think if you're being honest, you will admit that you did, then that tells you Eli is not shot. Do you want me to do the two-point conversion game and explain that, or do you think we should get to the next one? I think we should just keep going. I, okay. I'm on board with it, and I don't want to go any further. Really? I figured you'd be against it. I was on board with it. Cap- wow, Captain Old Fashioned, huh? I was on board with Tom Coughlin doing it a few years ago, too, right. back in 2015. Well, if someone wants to talk about that, I do have the explanation. I'm not sure how detailed they gave that explanation to the last few days. Um, I can go through the game theory behind it if you want. And I also have some stats that you might not have known that makes it make even more sense than what you think. All I right. defended Coughlin in 15. How could I not defend Schirmer now? Let's go to have Hugo to. in New Jersey. He's up next. What's up, Hugo? Hey, guys, how are you? What's up, buddy? Hi. Hey. Um, you know, you were just bringing up that two-point conversion. I, I, I want to get past that. But one of the things uh, the, the coach did say and Eli said was that they liked their two-point plays. 
that they liked the kind of plays they had. Now, they were down there by the goal line before, which is essentially uh, the equivalent of a two-point conversion, right? I mean, the distance down by the goal line. Correct. And that didn't work out so well. So if they liked their two-point conversion plays that much, why didn't they use them down there when they had the opportunity? Well, Hugo, I'm happy you asked that question. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. By the way, the two-point conversion play, the ball was right in Beckham's hands. And he should have caught it. Okay, so so, so let's make that clear. So the play did work. No, but Hugo, hold on one second. It should have been more to the pylon. Fine, he also had a guy in his face. A couple numbers heading into that game. Do you know what the Giants were on third or fourth and one or two yards heading into that game last week, this year? I uh, couldn't be very good. They were nine. Absolutely they outstanding. Were nine for nine. That's correct. Do you know what team in the NFL is the best at converting third downs of four or fewer yards in the NFL? I'll give you a hint there. Helmets blue. And they have an NY <laughs> on them. Number one in the league on third down of fewer than four yards. See, but the writers don't tell you that, do they? Well, but you know No, what? they don't tell you that. They don't tell you that no, or you would have known. Hold on, hold on, hold on, you would have known. I mean, you, you, you might have a, a problem with uh, selective sample there because, you know, when a, when a defense has to defend the whole field and they don't want players to get behind them, they'll give you more room as opposed to when you're down by the goal line. I mean, it's pretty clear we've had a lot of red zone problems. Right. Yeah, but and, Hugo, Hugo, red zone and goal to go are two different things. Totally different things. Totally different things. Well, I don't, I mean, I, I you're don't talking know. apples and oranges. No, but Hugo, those are the numbers. On third and fourth and one and two, and if you're telling me on fourth and one, teams are giving the Giants extra space, and third and one, they're not playing the one yard, <laughs> they are stupid. Then they're just dumb. Give me a break. Uh, I don't know. Um, those are the uh, facts. All I know is we, we, we've had a lot of problems down there by the goal lines, and that's that's been a trend I've seen for for a long time, but, but that's not really what I what I uh, called about. I wanted mm-hmm. wanted to say I, I think these last couple. Now you, you guys brought up the two point conversion. Yeah, I know that was my fault. That, that was my that was my fault. You, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know it's my bad. Uh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> I, I, I said that to open. You know these last couple moves. I, I think they make a lot of sense. I mean, just like the Jason Pierre Paul trade. You know these are players that are kind of breaking down. Have had some injuries, and I, I think I think fans have to forget about the name on the back of the jersey or draft status when looking at these players and looking at production on on the field. And I said this to you guys last week, that the front-line players, and by that I mean the guys who are highly paid, aren't being difference makers. And and that's that, that's the problem with the team. It's We're up against the salary cap, and these guys haven't really been the difference makers. You know, Janoris Jenkins, for example, is getting paid like a shutdown corner, but, you know, opening play against Dallas, he gives up a touchdown. He gave up a long ball last week. He gave up, you know, a ball to, um, to, to Zach Ertz the week before. You know, he's just not producing. Okay, now hold on, hold the on. the amount of money we hold have on. invested. I will let you finish your point, but you need some help on this. Those last two plays you mentioned, Banks, Carl Banks had said he had read the scheme and said that Curtis Riley was out of position on both of those, that Jenkins was supposed to have somebody over the top. And okay. both times... Riley was nowhere to be found, and so Jenkins looks like the scapegoat. So let's make that clear. That's that's when I talk about the sides of the prism. You know, you can't look at things in a bubble. Too many people look at things in a bubble and they're misinformed. You got to be careful. Okay, that's why we're here to help explain it to you. Curtis Riley has been caught out of position many times this year. Now I'm not trying to finger him as much as I'm trying to make it clear that yeah. it's so easy to blame the corner. When you don't know 
from watching TV, and that's not your fault, okay? You don't know that he was supposed to have somebody behind him. Okay, uh, fair enough. So uh, so maybe he's playing better than I thought. Look, I, and when it comes to Eli Apple, you know, I just don't think he's a winning player. By that, you know, I mean that whenever there, is, there seems to be like a big spot in the game, you know, Eli Apple is the one giving up you know, a big play, either a, a big first down or he's committing a penalty. Um, you know, he's uber talented, without a doubt. I, yeah. I hated the pick, and then I went out to training camp and saw his size and his one-on-one coverage ability and drills and so on. But I, I just don't think that the player brings a winning mindset. So you just got to move on from players yeah, Hugo, like that. Hugo, I'm not sure if it's a winning mindset, but I do agree. Um, I think when teams were looking for that third down conversion this year, they would yeah. go to his side of the field and not Jenkins. I do think that's a fair point. Well, Jenkins more accomplished. Yeah, I, I would yeah. try the same thing too. I agree with you on that. You know, and, a, yeah, and, and look, Apple is a B. guy B. still Webb. still B. on the B. rebound. Webb so out there. he's not as talented, but B, I see B.W. Webb. He's fighting out there. He's you know he does Perry scrap. May not he be does super scrap. Talented, but that guy's fighting out there. That's sure. the kind of player you need. Those are winning players. I agree with that. I don't, I don't want to monopolize the time ahead. Okay, thank you for I'll the call. call time. Appreciate you, it. Go. Appreciate the call. Call man. again. Good stuff. And I just and I just want to throw that out there. By the way, on that third and fourth and one or two stat that I gave you, that includes the third and fourth and goal from the one or two yard line. That's yes. incorporated into Correct. those numbers. So Correct. The red zone is included. You're right. They've struggled in the red zone, but the majority of those have been you know four or five yards out and more. Um, now they're only two or four in those situations against Atlanta. So now they're they're nine for nine. Now they would be eleven for thirteen right. in those situations. So that's true. But the Giants actually in those third and fourth and short situations this year have actually been very good. The problem is that they're so bad on first and second down and have so many negative plays, they're rarely in those third and short well, situations. Yeah. yeah, the negative plays have killed them. Look, yeah. Kim Jones from NFL Network asked a question of Pat Shermer today and I believe I mentioned it on last week's show, if I'm not mistaken. I certainly might have said it on the fan or one of the other places I've been on. If you look at the Giants in a bubble, which is, again, my point, you can't look at anything in a bubble. But you look at Eli's numbers as a passer across the board. His rating is solid. His completion percentage is very good. Okay, His interception percentage is very low. The only number that really makes you cringe is the sack number and the fact that his low touchdown uh, pass number looks really low, too. Now, all right. But now, Paul, I will say this too. I do think some of his overall numbers are a little bit shaded by the fact he's had some garbage time yards, and he has done a lot of the things he's done. Exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. but but here's the thing: if you just looked at the numbers in a box, which you can't do, and this is why you can't do it, Beckham's got good numbers, although his average per catch is down. But Beckham's had had good numbers. Shepard's had some really good days. The Giants' third down conversion rate is good. Their third and fourth short conversion rate is good. You look at all these things and you say to yourself, "Hey, you know what? Well, they're this... all, they're overall third down and they're 18th in the league, so it's it, it's okay. It's not great. Mediocre. Yeah, that's a perfect word. Mediocre. Yes. All right. Let me. Point is, that's that, those are not the numbers of a one and six football team. No, that, that's correct. That's my point. Mm-hmm. The numbers say the Giants are a mediocre 500 football team. As I've said, the quicksand of mediocrity. They fit right into the quicksand of mediocrity. That's what they are. But because they've had 
some bad breaks, because they've had some bad officiating, which cost them two games, because then they have had key breakdowns in bad spots. And as Coach Shermer says, the bottom line is we haven't scored enough points. And that's that. That's it. That's it. That's the answer. Okay. They've not scored enough haven't points. Haven't scored enough points. And that's the shame of it because they've done so many other things to the point where they absolutely should be competitive in the standings. Well, look, they easily could have one more win if the Panther guy didn't hit a career-long field goal. So that's an easy one right there. Um, I'm never one to blame officiating. I agree. The officiating in that Saints game was a little rough. A um, little rough. Okay. A little, a little okay. rough. Okay. <laughs> Trying to be kind. It wasn't very good in Carolina either. It wasn't great in Carolina. But, but the field either. goal, the, that's, had, those are the two games that I really believe that the football gods just kicked the Giants in the butt and said, we're taking these two wins hey, from look, you. And that happens sometimes. And sometimes the football gods are on your side and they give right. you a win. So, so it happens. So you could realistically it say they're, 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 they're a 3-4 and four caliber team, which is a game under 500 right in the middle of the quicksand. And that's really what that's really what they are, but anyway, yeah. And you would be on pace there if you have two or three wins. Now you'd be a pace on for a six, seven at best, eight win team. And actually, have a meaningful game against the Redskins on Sunday if they were three and four right now. Yeah, or you know what? Even if they were two and five, it's not not meaningful. Okay, but instead, especially if you would beat the Eagles, because then you would be one and one in the division. I know. But uh, it, none, it none of this, none of this is reality. This is all perception. Got to win games. The reality man. is one in six. Those other things don't matter. All that matters is the W and loss column. Yeah, the, well, the league doesn't care when they make out the playoff hey. schedule. <laughs> they just look at the W and Ls. I'm, I'm quoting your boy Parcells, man. You are what your record says you are. Yeah. And there's no excuses. There's no if ands, buts, or candies and nuts. Otherwise, yeah. every day will be Christmas. That's what Dan Reeves used to say. You're one and six. Yeah, but see. Bill Bill wasn't playing in the quicksand of mediocrity in those days. Two oh one league was better. Nine three nine four five one three. I'm gonna take Paul out of the time machine <laughs> and put him in Lenin Columbia, Maryland's time machine, and you guys will talk about whatever you want to talk about. I feel Go like ahead, the, I feel like the Doctor Who of the Giants broadcast team. Oh, good Doctor. Well, that, that that might be your best pop culture reference of all time. You like that? Yeah, that's pretty good. Do you watch Doctor Who? <laughs> I used to. Okay, Let's years see, you know, ago. You know it's back, right? Did not know that. Yeah, BBC okay. America. Check it out. How about it? <laughs> Am what? I on? Yeah, you're on. Like, go ahead. Hello, Lan. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. You guys couldn't get stopped talking there. Yeah, I know. And, but it was good. Shocking. It was good conversation. Hey, let me start off by saying good for that first caller, Susan. Good for her. You put that call in the Hall of Fame. That's a terrific call by Susan. I like that. Len, you I remember you can, Tittle. I, I know you do. you play that call again because, man, she summed it up. <laughs> I want to go back. And, Paul, good for you. You know, the fastest-growing industry in the cottage industry in the world is criticizing Eli Manning. I swear to God, it's become an industry of its, in, in its own. You know it's what happened, Len? It's getting ridiculous. You, you know what happened? We Charlie? Got, we, got, we got people criticizing Eli who aren't even watching the game. Here's what happened. Huh. Ch- Charlie and his massive, massive followers. No, Charlie likes Eli. No, listen. Charlie no, no, likes Eli. No, no, but see, Charlie and his massive followers who had the Eric Flowers voodoo doll for the last several years, they've all thrown that away now because he's gone. And they've decided to pull out an Eli Manning voodoo hey, doll. No, Charlie's an Eli supporter. I don't he want to throw Charlie he in is. that mix. That's I don't. not fair. I don't. That's not fair. But he has got no one to pick on now because Flowers is gone. Uh, he'll find somebody new soon. But don't anyway, yeah. you're right, Charlie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not picking on you. But I really yeah. think that's what's happened. Flowers, the whipping boy, is gone. So now they want to beat up on Eli. I mean, it's really been ridiculous. I got a solution to it all, by the way. But I want to say some other things first. Um, 
Paul, thank you for, you know, you, you, you had a good response to Susan's call as well. Added, I think you really kind of added to it, and, and I appreciate that. And, and you brought up 1964. Oh, my God, Paul, that was awful. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, that it was, was. It, it just, just, just really terrible. But listen, and, and what made it worse when it was all over, perfect segue now to one of the things I wanted to mention to you guys. When the season was over, we traded Sam Huff. Mm-hmm. That, that almost killed me. I was 21 years old. I thought I was going to quit on the Giants when they traded Huff. But secondly, they also traded Dick Modulewski. Yes. And, um, you know, here's a shout-out to a terrific Giants player, yeah. Dick Modulewski, who just last passed week. away yeah. a couple of days ago. Yeah. And uh, part of that first front four, you know, it used to be a five-man line, 56, Landry, Mm-hmm. invented that front four, and Modulewski was part of it. A terrific player, terrific player, and he, he got a ring. I'll call it a ring, but they won a world championship in 56. Yes. And Modulewski played a big part in that, played a big part in that. Well, you know, him, Listen, and, him and Greer were dynamite together until they traded Rosie to the Rams. Yes. 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 Um, I wanted to mention Eli Apple. Look, you know, when we drafted Apple, I, I thought it was the right pick. I know it was very, people were a lot critical, but I thought where we were, all the circumstances surrounding it, I thought it was the right pick. But I'm sorry to say my lasting remembrance of Eli Apple. Third and 25, we got him pinned to the goal line. He commits a holding penalty on Julio Jones to take Atlanta out of a terrible situation, and then the camera catches him smiling about it. Oh, my goodness. I'm not the owner, I'm not the coach, but I would have fired him right there. Hold on, hold on, Len. Len, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. How do you know he wasn't laughing at the absurdity of the call? It, but, it, but, which oh, he wrong. mugged him. Come good, on, Paul, it was, he it was a good call. He mugged him. He, he, he beat the guy up. He beat the guy up. I was on the field. I didn't see the, t- the oh. TV replay. I look at the coach's films, and I don't look yeah, at the yeah, TV. Yeah, look at the I, I, He beat the guy up. I mean, okay. No, but I'm saying uh, I don't know what he was smiling at. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what he was smiling at. I might be the only one. Here's the here's the matchup I'm worried about, guys. Here's the matchup, and you you, I think you mentioned the name. This this matchup, offensive line, center versus nose tackle, um, ugly might be an understatement. This could really be bad. That that kid from Alabama is going to be a star, and I don't think our center can handle him. Um, I'm really worried about that matchup. That yeah. could disrupt, literally disrupt everything. You should be. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, 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 you know, the linebacker Brown, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, he's but an okay he could, he could have 15 tackles on Sunday when, if Payne handles the center, and I think he will. Len, I, 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 I want to throw something else out like there. We're going to win the game. Len, I want to throw something else out there. Um, matchup you didn't mention specifically. Yeah. Uh, if you saw... What they did to Lyle Collins last week, they he they took him to the schoolhouse and you know gave him a little whooping in the back. And yeah, and Tyron yeah. Smith wasn't far behind, by the way. So yeah, you worry about what they're going to try to do to Chad Wheeler out there at right tackle too, because they're going to yeah, yeah. they, they're going to put Ryan Kerrigan out there, and he's a very very good football player. Chad yes. Oh, yes. Chad yes. Chad, now, Chad I, Wheeler. I, I know scraps, I, I sometimes but, oversimplify things. But He's I think when it. you're playing a three, and they play a traditional three-four, there's no hybrid yes. to their to their three-four defense. They the Redskins play a three-four traditional three-four defense. Yes, and I, I know I've said this before. Again, it sounds like I'm simplifying things, but 
if you can't control the nose tackle on a 3-4 defense, mm-hmm. you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. You've got to get the nose tackle blocked or the linebackers go crazy. <laughs> and Brown will have his 15 to 18 tackles. And the second part of Sunday's game, listen, Odell needs a wingman Sunday. They're coming after Odell. I'm just going to throw some names out there. Josh Norman, the safety Swearington, mm-hmm. and the linebacker Brown. Mm-hmm. He needs a wingman. Somebody's got to protect this guy out there. If it's just as simple as pulling him away from the play, every single down he's out there, we need a designated wingman to help Odell, and I think he's going to have a big game. we just got to keep him out of trouble. Just got to keep him out of trouble. All right, Listen, have I, got to, have I got another minute? You guys got to go. Uh, I got three more calls I want to get to. Okay, we got yeah, to run. go for it. Go for it. Hey, we'll talk again. Thank All you, right, Giants. Yep. Go Giants. Hey, look, and these wide receivers, Paul, if, if they give – time to throw the ball they're gonna be able to get separation they are the Redskins corners they're capable but they're nothing special no nothing special I would agree with that you can you can if you have time look, just look what the Saints did to him go back look at the Saints tape Saints marched up and down the field on him, okay so keep that in mind we want to remind you that big blue kick <clears throat> pardon me we want to remind you that big blue kickoff live oh. is presented by Coors Light Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Scott, New Mexico. He's up next. Hey, Scotty, do. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, I think Carl Banks epitomized this season the best when he said, I think, right after the game, he says the Giants play well until they don't. And that seems to be the problem inherent, I think, in the whole season. They haven't put four quarters together. I'm not... Uh, one of those people is going to blame Eli Manning or anybody else for this. I know he's been sacked 24 times, but it might surprise everybody to learn who's been sacked the most in the NFL. And that's Deshaun Watson, who's mm-hmm. uh, a very mobile quarterback. That's so, true. so I, I think the offensive line is an issue and the defensive line is an issue. My question really is, what is the timetable either of you are giving for the Giants to become relevant again? I'm not trying to be facetious, but... We, you know, when does the expiration date run out for excuses? Because they brought in a whole new regime. They were supposed to have a better offensive line. That hasn't happened. Better defensive line. I don't know if that's happened or not. Yeah, so, are fine. So I was just curious if you have your own timetable as to when the Giants will actually become more of a, a contender, I guess is the word. Um, I, I, frankly, um, until I know what the quarterback situation is going to be and who the next quarterback is going to be, I can't put a timetable on it. Okay. I don't. I, I just don't know. I, I, I think given how tough it is to turn over a roster quickly um, in the league and the situation with contracts, you know, to, to think that you're going to be able to do it next year with the same kind of group, I, I think you're asking a lot. Um, to be quite honest with you, that's just my opinion. I don't know what they're thinking upstairs. Um, as John Maris said, the owner's meeting, it might not be a quick fix. I think that's probably accurate. Um, until I know where that next quarterback's coming from, it, it, it's hard for me to, to, to give you a, a timetable, Scott, to be totally honest with I, you. I, don't, I just don't know. I, okay. I don't even think John or I could tell you 100% who's going to be on this team after Tuesday. I mean, to right. be honest with you, there, there are certainly you know, conversations that teams are going to want to have with the Giants about some of their players, and whether or not those deals come to fruition is going to have a major impact on how this team moves forward. Right. One of the things I just saw the other day is that the top draft 
prospect and, uh, for quarterbacks, the kid out of Oregon, Justin Herbert, just well, declared he's yeah, going most people to stay have heard for that. his senior yeah. year. No, 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 well, no. He didn't say he didn't declare he was staying. He said I haven't thought about right. it yet. And there oh, are okay. and there and there are reports saying that he's likely to stay. But then again, remember, same time last year we were hearing the same things about Darnold about him not right. coming out. So yeah. let's okay, let's so wait and see. Change, yes, yeah. it can. I, I would just add one other thing here. Um, I, I've asked some football personnel people around the league if if you had changed Eli Manning to any other quarterback in the league and you were standing here this week, what would the Giants' record be? Would any of the other quarterbacks in the league have given them a better-than-one-in-six record? Right. And you know the only answer I got from anybody, and I called five different people around the league, and they said to me the only one who would have done better was Aaron Rodgers, and he might have given you one or two more wins tops. Okay. So let's My back off, question, you know, not, not that it's you, but let's back off the Eli about, Manning talk. I would make that list a little bit longer, um, but I, I think... Well, maybe, Tom, the, maybe Tom Brady, maybe, but... Maybe Drew you Brees. Know. Throw Drew Brees in the mix. So I, I, I think it's a shorter list than I think a lot of other people A real think short list, and, and it's only maybe one or two more wins. It wouldn't have made much of a difference. I don't think, okay. anyone, I don't think anyone's getting to five and two. Which is why people shouldn't be trashing Eli, and I'm telling you, Scott, if it's me, Eli Manning's starting in 2019, case closed. Okay. Um, my last question is uh, a little bit more concerning, and what if it turns out that what we're seeing out of Nate Solder is actually what we're getting, and the Giants made a mistake. I'm hoping that isn't the case. But if it is, how does that create uh, angst for the Giants for next year? And I'll take the answer off the air, guys. Okay. Again. Appreciate it, Scott. I mean, it is, look, he's under contract. And uh, a big contract. It is what it is. So they will need him to play better. There's yes. no end ifs or buts about it now. And by the way, Nate would say that, too. He needs of course to play he better. Would. He's a stand-up guy. Um, I don't know how much of that has to do with the overall line play being suspect, the fact that he's also playing next to a rookie. Uh, maybe maybe Nate's more beaten up than people are, are talking about because he will never, and I know what kind of pro he is, he will never admit, even if he's got a broken a fingernail, he's not going to tell people. That's just not the way he is. So there may be some other factors involved in his play, but maybe there's also a possibility that he's on the down. And and maybe there isn't much more there. I don't know the answer to that, but they got to figure that out. Uh, and and while they do that, he is under a significant contract, which basically means they're going to have to get the best out of him, whatever that is. Yeah, we don't have the details of when they could get out of that, um, but I guarantee it's not next year. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, John. I'm sticking with the same plan. You know, for everyone who wanted to draft a quarterback this year, where do you think the Giants would be right now if Donald was their QB and Wayne Goldman was their starting running back? Yeah, but no, Probably 1-6 and six or 0-7. Oh yeah, but drafting the quarterback wasn't about winning you know, this year. Uh, I get that. I get that. But now you've got Barkley, who at least you can look forward to for the next how many years? Yeah, but you would have the same thing with the quarterback. Nah, but here's the thing. Barkley's a once-in-a-lifetime guy. You're not going to pick a running back in this year's draft that's going to be anything like Barkley. And I think... I think I you don't mean think like Todd Gurley four years ago, Ezekiel Elliott three years ago? Yeah, I think this guy's this guy's much more explosive than those guys. It's the same level of player. Come on. Very good player, but diff- different explosiveness. Barkley's making more out of nothing. He's more of a magic man than either one of those guys. And how and how's it up to score points? Well, to this point it hasn't, but over the course of the next several years, they'll be very happy they got him. I'm, well, my point is this way. I'm spending two of the first three picks again on the offensive line. They didn't do that last year. They only got one. All right? They only got one. 
Darn it, I'm drafting two in the first three picks. Okay? That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Remember, the right player has to be there, though, too. Okay, and I haven't done my homework yet on the draft. Well, I don't think it's too early. Nobody knows yet. Okay, but but I'm telling you, I am all in on rebuilding that offensive line more than I am getting a quarterback. Here's what I'm going to Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to email our buddy Dane Brugler, who does this for the Athletic all year long, the week after the bye. We're gonna, right. I haven't done the schedule yet. I'll make sure we're on together okay. one day the week after the bye, and we're going to bring them on, and we're going to get the early lowdown on what's going on. That's a good idea. You, you down for that? I'm for. I'm okay. all for it. We'll make that happen. You make sure you tell them to scout those linemen. I will tell them to be ready. <laughs> Let's go to Antonio in Philadelphia. He's up next. Hey, Antonio. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, we're Hi. doing great, man. What's going on? Yeah, I just want to say a couple of things, but then know time is short. Okay. Um, right Right now, the situation that we are at is from multiple years of bad drafting. Correct. Plain, plain and simple. Absolutely. 100%. And, we would not disagree with you. And also, I would say bad decision-making by ownership. Because in my opinion, I would not have let go Coughlin. I would have let go Reese first, bring in a new GM, let him work with Coughlin, see what happens. From there on, you make, you make your decision if it's going to work or not. Two, McAdoo, you went to hire a, a coach was, that was not ready to be a head coach in the NFL. Plain and simple. And right now, this is where we at. So, Antonio, I don't, think, uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't think anyone would argue with that last point you made. Right. Right now, Giants fans, they have to be patient. Because right now, this is not a one- or two-year fix. This is going to be a three- or four-year fix. Yeah. Where we at right now? I agree with you, Antonio. It's it's great to be able to be a Monday morning quarterback and see all of this clearly after it happens. Okay. I, I don't do that's any— a, That's a good you know, point, too. I first—I I don't second-guess anything. I, I tell you where I stand from the very get-go, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't change on that. And yeah, if but, I'm wrong, I'll tell you I'm wrong. Yeah, but it's okay to recognize, look, in retrospect, yes, maybe we made in, a mistake. In retrospect, right. we, we know where the things have come up short. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. But at the time, for all of these things that we've talked about, you could make logical cases where there was a reasonable belief that all of these different things could have worked out well and should have worked out well. Again, after the fact, it's easy to say, well, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. But you know what? It's kind of like if you make a recipe in the kitchen, okay, and you follow yeah. the recipe and you believe, man, this is going to taste really good, and you do it, and then the food turns out bad. Oh, well, how did, I, how did I screw that up? Well, it's easy to say it afterwards. There was too much salt. But while you were doing it, you know, you thought the recipe was going to be good. That's all I'm saying. Antonio, thanks for the call. Sorry, we got to move on. It's almost two thirty. Got two more guys I want to get in here. Uh, John in New Hampshire. John, you're up next. What's up, pal? Hey, John. Hey, Paul. How you guys doing? Hi. Doing all right, Johnny. What's up? How much? Just wanted to talk about uh, the Eli Apple trade and the snacks trade. Um, sure. I was glad to see Apple got shipped out of town. Um, I have to agree with Len. Um, he didn't even try to cover Julio on that play, and. He, he, that that killed them. They they lost because of that play. Um, <clears throat> snacks, snacks. I see it because he's 29. He's going to be 30 soon. So yep. we're not going to want to pick up his contract in the next couple of years. So 
That makes sense. And they just drafted B.J. Hill. They still got Dalvin Tomlinson. They got Lorenzo Carter on the line. So Bingo, bingo, bingo. And right. they got McIntosh still in reserve. That's a good point. I forgot about him. Exactly. So I'm not too worried about that. I'm glad Apple's gone, though. He's just bad for that whole locker room, I think. Um, also, I think as bad as they've played, and they've played bad, and they got bad breaks, um, they've played a, a horrible schedule this year. And uh, they, they're still not getting blown out. They got blown out in the Philly game. But, I mean, they're still playing teams tight with as bad as, as they've played. And I, I, I'm not too worried about the rest of the year. The season's going to get easier. And I'm, I'm glad they drafted Barkley. That guy is a monster. And it's fun to watch him. Thank you, John. Yep. Good stuff, bud. Appreciate it. And I, I know the, the final scores haven't been bad. But that Dallas game, you really never got the sense that they were going to Win yeah, that game in the I, I, I didn't either. I, I, yeah, I'm with you on that, John. They, they I, just couldn't move the ball. I, I just didn't think so. And by no. the way, we also did make the point during training camp the Giants' schedule was more difficult this year, and they'd have to play yeah. better just to have a chance to be 500. And what did I say? I said they could play well and still go 2-7. and seven. Now, they haven't played well, but and that's why you're 1-6. Yeah. But this is the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more caller. I want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Coach Marvin's our cleanup hitter. Coach, uh, you got about 45 seconds. Make your most important point, and then we will say goodbye. John and Paul, you're killing me. 40 seconds? Give him a minute. Right, Come on. You got a minute. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop wasting right. time, Coach. Get well, to it. <laughs> real quick. Um, I like you guys probably. you give me homework one time. List all 32 teams in the NFL and look at how many of um, them, if Eli was their quarterback, could he perform? I came up with quite a bit, somewhere no less than 20. Um, the other part I have, the two-point conversion. I don't want to get into it, but I didn't like the decision, but it was a good call. Bad decision, good call. They, they, they should have made that two-point conversion. Mm-hmm. And, the third, and the third thing I have is this year what they're going to really need to concentrate on is our scouting department. We need to make hits this draft because we're loading up on these picks, and I'm with you, Paul. They need two lines inside of this. And then as I've been watching it, I have watched the college game, um, and at the bottom half to the third round are offensive linemen. The bottom of the first round to the third round is offensive linemen. There's not really any dominant guys. So I'd, I'd be happy with two good guys, Marvin. Thank you, How coach. about that? Appreciate the call, buddy. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, real quick, guys, on the two-point conversion, this is mostly just to drive Dave nuts over there because I know he doesn't like my ideas, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> um, I, I'll break it down for you very, very quickly just based on the game theory. Um, if it, In a two-score situation, you have two chances to either kick an extra point or go for two, right? Um, if you kick the extra point both times, you go to overtime, Assuming you make the extra points, which is about a 95% shot, 100% chance to go to overtime, okay? So that's one option. The other option is you go for two on your first opportunity, all right? If you make it and you score two touchdowns, you win in regulation. So assuming that a two-point conversion is a 50-50 shot, which, by the way, it's better than that. It's actually closer to 60. Mm -hmm. um, That's a 50% chance you win outright in regulation, okay? Then you take the other half of the plays when you fail on the first two-point conversion, all right? In that case... You go for two on your second opportunity to try to tie the game in the case you score two touchdowns, right? So you have 50% winner regulation. Then you have 50% where you're going for two to either tie the game or lose in regulation. If that's another 50-50 shot, there's a 25% chance you lose in regulation, a 25% chance you go to overtime, and a 50% chance you win outright. The Giants like those odds better than going to overtime, and that's why they went for two. 
And it's funny because I'm on board with that, even though I don't buy into the analytics. Paul is now Captain Analytics. No, no, I I, I buy it because of the way the game was going. Right. I, I just felt like I did not want to see that game go to overtime. I felt like if the Giants had a chance to do something that could give them the chance to win yeah. and get Eli that ball back, yeah, do it. And by the way, our guy Warren Sharp, who we had on before the year, he sent me a, a message on Twitter, makes a good point. He thinks it's very important for the Giants to use more 12 personnel. Against the Redskins to help against those pass rushers. I think he's got something with I'm that. I'm on board with that, too. I'm with him. Okay. I'm with him. All right. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks so much for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow. It's Meadow and Dottino getting you ready for Giants and Redskins. We'll see you next time on Giants.com, everybody. Have a wonderful afternoon.